welcome to Redefining Alpha, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Frida Odesson, VP of US Sales at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with Tony Bennett, uh, VP of Sales at Daily. Um, to kick things off, like, can you please introduce yourself to listeners? Sure. Hi. Thanks for having me, Frida. Uh, so I currently am the VP of Sales at Daily, which is a video API. We power live video experiences in our customers' apps or websites. Um, before this, I led sales at Terminus from zero to 20 million in revenue, and I helped create the mid-market segment at Twilio immediately before coming to Daily. I'm also a mom of two little kids and a big advocate for uh, seeing more diversity in tech. All right. Awesome. Well, it's super exciting to have you. Um, if you are a devoted listener of the podcast, you know that the first question that we always ask is, what does redefining outbound mean to you? So um, let's start diving in there. Sure. I think a lot less about redefining and just defining what works for each company. Definitely different tactics work much better for different types of companies based on their business model, based on who they're selling to. Um, it has been really interesting to see firsthand how much things have changed, though, in general. So early in my career, when I was at Pardot, which was a marketing automation tool eventually acquired by Salesforce, in like 2012, the HubSpot content marketing playbook and outbound SDRs was a really effective way of getting prospects' attention. So we did a lot of that and was very successful uh, at that time. But it seems like the proliferation of SaaS companies, there are so many software companies that do different neat things with overlapping uh, tool sets that the content strategy is no longer that effective. There's too many people talking about too many things and there's a lot of emails and cold calls being made. So uh, it, for most companies, finding new avenues to get our prospects' attention is what we have to do. I still think that kind of spray and pray model and content marketing can work well in, say, businesses that are really SMB. They're selling to companies, a company I consult with, they sell into K-12 and facilities management people. A cold calling a lot of people works really well for them because this audience hasn't been sold to very much. So they often answer the phone and they're not kind of burnt out from that. But for most of us, that strategy doesn't work so well anymore. So at Daily, we are on a trend that I think is more and more common with product-led growth, where anyone can come and sign up for a product and start using it without talking to sales. And so a lot of the way that we get business is starting with that inbound product sign-up and figuring out how to convert them into a bigger, more full customer. Um, outbound for us in a usage-based model is really tough. So when we do it, it has to be really targeted. We have to be really careful to vet who we're talking to so that our message actually resonates with them. And then often we have to use referrals or really personal approach to get their attention. Got it. Super interesting. And I think I, you bring up a good point, which is we see everywhere that like cold calling is dead or don't spray and pray. Like it's never going to work, but like you need to know your audience and understand your audience and what works for one audience might not work for another. 
so being really thoughtful and like understanding your audience and what's gonna you know grab their attention at the end of the day and by the way cold calling has worked so i ended up hiring an outsourced sdr firm and i was really skeptical we sell to a really technical audience apis and I was really skeptical that cold calling would work. And they've actually been quite successful. But again, it has to be, it's not spray and pray. It has to be really targeted in the list of accounts we're reaching out to. And often the messaging has to be really tailored based on things we know about their business and their current strategy or curtain vendor. Um, in that context, it is hard to get people on the phone. But when they do, they've actually been pretty successful setting the meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen exactly the same thing. Um, Awesome. So I'd love to hear, because um, obviously you're in an interesting space and this whole PLG motion. Uh, I'd love to hear, like, what is one of the biggest challenges that you and, and your team is working on right now? I don't know about one. <laughs> we have a lot of challenges. This, yeah, usage-based, product-led model, selling APIs lends to several challenges. So one is when you're selling a developer tool, it has to be built. There was no version where we just sell someone the SaaS product, they pay us money and they just use it or don't use it, but they owe us money either way. Um, the only way that they are paying us money is if they're actually using the product, it's built into their app and they're getting value from it. So that means that one, they have to have this specific need to have live video in their app. No amount of cold calling is gonna convince them that they should build a new app with video in it, right? The need has to already exist. Uh, two, they then have to have developers or be willing to hire a team to build our te technology into their product. Uh, it can't just be, again, bought and then used. Um, on the usage-based side, the more the, a customer will pay more based on usage. And that is not within our control and often not fully within our customer's control. So there's this interesting dynamic, and we saw this at Twilio, too. Often existing use cases are going to be our largest deals and new use cases have the potential to blow up, but they're usually our smaller deals. They need the most support, but they're our smallest deal, which makes it really hard to prioritize where sales and spend their time. So an example of that, you could have a really large company, but they have a very small use case for video. They're not using a whole lot of minutes. So they could be paying us $10,000 a year. Um, on the flip side, you could have a 100-person company where the core of their app is based around video. It could be a dating app. It could be a creator app. It could be an edtech app. And they're actually spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, usually when that app is first created, it takes time to get momentum. So our ideal customer is a customer that already has a working video app. They're using some other technology or using something like Zoom that wasn't really made for their use case. And so I say all that just to say, right, a customer has to really have a need. They have to have a team that can build it. Uh, they then have to actually have the usage and scale up that usage on our product to pay us a lot of money. And so that leads to a lot of challenges on how we find the right customers, how we help them get ramped up, how we qualify whether or not they're likely to actually be able to use our product well and get ramped up within a good period of time, um, and how we prioritize our sales and support resources. Because again, sometimes our smaller deals actually need more attention to get things set up. And our larger deals can often be simpler because it's more of a migration of an existing type of technology. Mm. Very interesting. So it's like a little bit of backwards from how I think most companies are structured 
in a yeah. way. So off the back of that, like, how do you think about efficiency? And especially maybe around the, the enterprise team then, um, yeah. where you might sell into like, have big complex sales cycles, but the deal size might not necessarily always correspond depending on use case. That is really tough. We are always making educated bets and sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you end up spending a lot of time with an account that doesn't end up paying you that much. Sometimes you're investing in a bet that doesn't happen. That is part of what you have to do in this type of business. So some of the ways we try to prioritize. One, our support and sales roles are a lot more blended than a traditional SaaS mindset. So a lot of our more self-service customers, we're trying to push on more of a self-service path. So our marketing team has done a lot to try to optimize how helpful our self-service path is, but sometimes those customers still need help. And we do not want to ignore them. We want all customers of any size to get support from our team. We just can't extend as much support to a much smaller account. So a lot of times, instead of them speaking with sales, they're actually speaking with our support team who acts a little bit as a sales engine to help answer questions and keep them on their path to building. Um, whereas I want the sales team focused on deals that are spending at least a thousand bucks a month, but ideally closer to five to $10,000 a month. So a lot of the deals our team is working are hundreds of thousand or million dollar deals. And these are, uh, existing use cases using a competitor. We're trying to rip and replace and migrate to daily. Um, so some of the ways we try to help with efficiency, again, the self-service model and optimizing that flow is really key having office hours and set times we can do things in group settings. Um, but a lot of it is doing our best with the technology we have to try to figure out the size of a use case. And that's surprisingly hard. Sometimes you can tell very obviously. There's a lot of education technologies and healthcare technologies that you just know have a lot of video usage. But other times it can be hard to tell. So we try to use tools like app figures that can tell us some information about what's happening within someone's app to create a tiered list. So we have what's called the daily 1000. These are a thousand accounts that all have video use cases. The tier ones are ones that we believe are spending at least 10K a month on video. Uh, tier twos are kind of one to 10K a month range. And then tier threes, we just either don't know or we don't think they're doing video yet. But if it was a brand like a Nike or some really great project management tool or like a Figma, we would absolutely want to partner with them at the ground floor building that kind of functionality. And so we then um, prioritize time spent with customers based on that tier. But sometimes we're completely wrong and we're surprised. So we had an inbound with a company that we had never heard of before. We assumed would be quite small. Come to find out they're spending like 50 grand a month on um, their video infrastructure. And so then we, of course, then start to prioritize them more highly. Uh, so our sales and support teams have to be really good at trying to quickly understand what their current usage looks like, what projections for usage could look like, and current adoption to figure out what's the best path forward for this account. Mm. Very interesting. So like constantly iterating um, sort of on that process. What sort of advice you could give to any sales leaders who are listening to this podcast who are thinking about maybe rolling out or dipping their toes into PLG? Because uh, I think that's been like the biggest trend uh, in the SaaS space for a long time now. A lot of companies are moving towards PLG or starting to like experiment with it. 
Um, what's like an advice you would give when you're starting that out? That's a good question. Um, I do think it manifests a little differently depending on the business model. Usage based plus product led, I think, is a little bit different than simply usage based. But generally, you should try it. I think in um, especially startups, it's always good to just experiment with something for a period of time and see what happens. But the average consumer wants to be able to tangibly put their hands on something. So I think unless it's a really complex product that just requires human support, having a product-led motion is smart to test. But if you're going to do it, it's really important to make sure the workflows are as simple as possible, that there's a lot of built-in support that helps users figure out how to use the product and get to those aha moments quickly. So in the product-led motion, you want someone to be able to get into the products and very quickly be able to do something that shows them that there's value as quickly as possible, that aha moment. So for us at Daily, um, we have this pre-built option of our video. So we have an API that can be embedded and super customized. We have kind of an out-of-the-box, fully supported thing called Daily Pre-built. And that allows someone who's evaluating to very quickly launch a video meeting and see how simple and how good the video quality is. And it gives them that, wow, this is great. This is easy. I like to partner with daily. Um, and then after that, usually once they engage with our team and see how much expertise our team has for fine tuning their WebRTC implementation, they're super impressed and realize we can offer a lot more than other companies. So for every business, it'll be different, but getting someone into your product, helping them to quickly find the things that will be valuable to them to have that aha moment is really key. And then determining based on conversion rates, I think a lot of people then who are used to having a model where sales does everything want to very quickly call that person. Sometimes it actually makes more sense to give them more space and let them get to a certain point in the product before sales engages. So I'd also encourage companies to experiment with what has the highest conversion rate. And often, again, it's having them meet certain milestones before sales extends much time and energy with the account. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, those are all great things to think about um, that I think are like a little bit backwards from uh, maybe other sales motions. Um, Awesome. I'd love to dive into your time a little bit at Terminus, uh, where you were the VP of sales. And I know you took them from basically zero to 20 million in revenue, which is very impressive. What were some of your core learnings um, from that time? That, <laughs> that sale is so completely different than what I'm doing now. Uh, that was more of the traditional SaaS sale. Most of the accounts we were going after, especially in the early days when I was there, were not aware of what we did and had no other technology that did this in their tech stack. So it's kind of the opposite sale. We did a lot of outbound and cold calling. So um, let's see, once I scaled the team up, I mean, for a while we had a two SDR to one A ratio. Over time it was one to one. And then it started to decrease a bit after a while. When we had 25 reps, it wasn't scalable to have 25 SDRs. But, um, we talked a lot about that model being evangelizing. People didn't know what account-based marketing was and how our technology could help run that play. And so it was a lot of uh, finding a big list of accounts in our ICP. The first year was kind of spray and pray. Let's try to get 
as many people just aware and see what low hanging fruit there was. And then in year two is a much more tailored approach where we focus in on certain types of accounts more than others. And we were much more strategic about the outbound, but it was a lot more of an outbound motion. Uh, we were pretty effective at cold calling, uh, up on email worked pretty well. It complete opposite of, of what's working here. Um, I don't know if there's something specific you want to touch on there. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Is there like, if you think back on that period, like um, in that very like startup motion, like what would you say if you could like pinpoint the, your biggest learning, uh, what would that be? Hmm. That's actually a hard question because I feel like there's so much yeah. but uh, let's see. I think, well, okay, so let, let me let me give you two angles of this. From a personal leadership perspective, it was the first time I had really managed a team at scale. And I spent a lot of time trying to tinker over the perfect pitch, the perfect talk track, the perfect this. And one big personal lesson for me as a first-time leader was those little things can make an impact. But what's more important is being able to do things at scale. I couldn't have every sales rep doing a perfect call every single time. And hitting on too many little specific things actually can make your team less effective. But focusing instead on a few big picture things that make the biggest impact on the sales motion. So for instance, at Terminus, um, the whole concept of account-based marketing was that Instead of focusing on leads, it was more about influence. So the more quickly we were able to help a customer understand their current lead conversion rate was not as effective as they want it to be, that using a tool like Terminus could help them build greater influence amongst target accounts and thinking about the impact that would have, the more effective we were at having that conversation, that paid the biggest dividend on us being able to get a customer to be a believer and to want to try Terminus and then to understand how to measure success. And a lot of the other things we were focused on early just didn't have as much of an impact. So yeah, I think that personal learning was um, when coaching teams, especially a, across a team versus individual coaching, hit on the most important things that will actually drive the sale forward and really keep hitting those home uh, from more of a like less personal learning. Um, I think the whenever you're selling into a new market where there's not a lot of awareness, the content marketing, the category owning is more important than demand gen. This was something that worked really well for us. It was a big bet that luckily paid off. Our CMO at the time, Sangram, really over-indexed on brand awareness about account-based marketing and about how daily fit to the tech stack versus doing a lot of demand gen play specifically. So it meant that early stages, we weren't getting a lot of inbound leads, but when we called outbound, a lot of those companies knew who we were and the call was then warmer and it was easier to bring them in because they had had some awareness. Uh, so I don't think that works in every business, but for, again, a, a newish market, I think that's a really effective way of actually helping you on the outbound side, having the really strong brand story, thought leadership marketing versus just like yeah. your company marketing. 
yeah, those are really good learning. And I think that's like, that's definitely the harder part to get down. So focusing on that first and building that foundation. Um, cool. Very interesting. Um, lastly, I think this is, we're coming to the, to the final parts of this, but, um, this is something I ask every person who comes on the podcast. What would you recommend sales leaders to start, stop, and continue doing in 2024? It's obviously been kind of a weird time in the market for a lot of the SaaS companies. Um, focusing on sustainable ways to acquire and keep customers. A lot of the tactics that worked before. So one, one other thing from Terminus is like, we got a lot of customers, but not all those customers would remain with us for the long term. And I think a lot of MarTech companies have that challenge. Uh, making sure to really, really hone in on, even if it means growth will be a little bit slower, focus on the customers who truly understand your value and bringing them on and making them fans versus doing as much volume. It's quality over quantity. Um, something to stop doing if you are still just spray and pray marketing, unless you are in a very specific type of business, don't do that. Spray and pray up on it. I mean, uh, doing the research, doing the homework, knowing what message resonates, definitely the better way to do it. Um, Things to continue. I think a lot of us learned a lot of lessons from COVID about how to lead people, especially remotely, how to support and how to be more supportive of the whole person approach. When COVID first happened and I was at Twilio, I had just hired this team. We were just all getting to know each other and build trust. And then we went remote. And I definitely had some missteps in, it was really hard on the team. I was really pushing them, which I could do at Terminus when I had gained everyone's respect. We saw each other every day. We went out to get drinks together. Suddenly that that pushing, pushing approach, that kind of hardline approach didn't work as well because these are people I didn't know as well. We didn't have as much trust. And there was a lot of personal shit going on in people's lives that just had them distracted or, you know, their brain was off and elsewhere. And so finding ways to still expect people to perform, to hold them accountable, but to be a lot less focused on if they're at their desk from eight to five and you know, doing things in the more traditional way, giving people a lot more flexibility and freedom. And by extending that level of trust, expecting them to then perform, I think uh, a lot of us just got so much better at how to manage people remotely and even as COVID's going away and people are going back to the office, I think that should continue. People want their leadership to treat them with trust and respect and give them some space. If someone's less effective for two or three months because they're going through something, give them that space knowing that then they'll come back and be productive again. Cool. Awesome. Some great words of wisdom. Thank you so much, uh, Tony, for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me.